You're listening to Season 8, Episode Number 6 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I discuss mission and the writings. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. And thank you once again for checking out Strike the Match. As always, I certainly appreciate you taking a moment to allow me to be a part of your day uh, with this uh, podcast, uh, Season 8, Episode Number 6. Today we are thinking about the mission of God in the writings. Now, I know that that is an expression that, that many of us are not familiar with, uh, but keep in mind the uh, structure that we are following through uh, this uh, examination of the mission of God in the Old Testament is actually looking at the structure of the Hebrew Bible. And so we have come through in the previous five episodes, we have come through uh, mission in Torah and mission in the prophets. And so that leaves us in the third and final section of the Tanakh, and that is the writings. So the books that are included in the section referred to as the writings are Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, they're actually considered one book. I know that most of us are familiar with those as two separate books, but uh, again, the content is the same, but they're considered one book, Ezra, Nehemiah. And then the final book in the writings, uh, the final book that concludes the Hebrew uh, Bible, if you will, uh, is the book Chronicles. Again, uh, we're familiar with uh, that being divided into two books, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, but uh, they're actually considered one, Chronicles. So those are the books that we are going to be thinking about today in this episode. And again, if you're just joining us, uh, again, thank you for uh, being a, uh, a listener to jump into the middle of a season related to this theme, the mission uh, of God. And uh, again, I want to uh, encourage you as listeners, if you haven't had a chance to get a copy of my book, uh, Theology of Mission, A Concise Biblical Theology, I want to uh, encourage you to do so. Uh, basically, that will, uh, will deal with uh, a great deal of the things that are being discussed in uh, Season 8 here on the podcast uh, at a greater depth than what I'm allowed to do in just a few moments uh, of your time during this podcast. So, where are we going in this episode as we look at mission in the writings? Well, I want us to continue to think about that, um, that sub-theme, if you will, uh, the blessing of the nations, uh, as we're tracing that through the Bible. And there are various ways that that uh, is expressed in the writings. And so, I'm going to uh, quickly unpack those uh, during this episode. So uh, how do we see this uh, expressed? Well, we see it expressed in, in several ways. So the blessing of the nations in uh, the writings, we see, for example, the nations are to be blessed, or the blessing of the nations happens through uh, Israel's influence. Uh, we'll see that in just a second. Uh, we see the blessing of the nations through God's sovereignty that is discussed in the writings. We also see the blessing of the nations 
through restoration and reconstruction. Keep in mind that it is in this section that the people of Israel are allowed to return to their land from Babylonian exile that happened uh, in uh, 587 BC. They're allowed to return and they're allowed to rebuild themselves as a political uh, nation, and they're allowed to rebuild their religious system as well. We also see the blessing of the nations through uh, an invitation to the nations to experience praise. Uh, a great deal of Psalms uh, is just that. It is inviting the nations, everything that has breath, uh, to praise the Lord. And then a couple of other ways that we see the blessing of the nations in the writings would be uh, thinking about the blessing of the nations through a person, and the person that shows up in this section, we'll refer to that person as God's anointed. And there are two, two things that we see about God's anointed in the writings, and that is the nations are blessed through God's anointed, uh, one who actually reigns, reigns over all. And then a second way that we see how the nations are blessed through God's anointed one is that the anointed one actually suffers, uh, but it's through his suffering that the nations uh, experience blessing. So with that in mind, that's where we're going in the next several minutes thinking about mission in the writings. So let's think about this. This section of the Bible uh, actually draws attention to the application of Torah to life. The writings, uh, the writings, if you will, were basically written to uh, the people of God, in this case uh, Israel, to say to Israel, in all of life's circumstances, in all of life's situations, here is how you are to live according to Torah. Uh, I'd like to describe uh, the writing section as, as really a multifaceted gemstone that no matter which way you turn the stone, you see different uh, uh, aspects of light being reflected off of it. And so in the books that make up this section, uh, that's exactly what you find. You find a variety of different life circumstances, uh, almost anything that life throws at you, uh, whether it's times of, of great delight or times of sadness or whether it's uh, times of uncertainty or times of questioning your faith, uh, a variety of different expressions in life, uh, the writings reveal to Israel how they are to live in all of life's circumstances according to Torah. So, for example, the Psalms reveal Israel's individual and corporate worship uh, as the nations observe the praise of God's people and are invited to actually participate. Uh, then we see books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Lamentations and Song of Songs uh, they show the value of wisdom and fear of God, the place of life's deepest questions, the role of national mourning, and the place of love and sex in courtship and marriage. Uh, we're introduced to characters such as Ruth and Daniel, Esther and Job, uh, who reflect the challenges of difficult circumstances when life does not make sense and enemies appear to thrive. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles, uh, they describe God's faithfulness throughout Israel's history and the fulfillment of His promises as the people return to the land from captivity to restore Jerusalem and the temple before the day of the Lord. Uh, the writings often reflect, and don't miss this, though this is important to keep in mind, the writings often reflect a worldview that is contrary to the Gentile contemporaries of Israel. And the writings are therefore especially relevant to a discussion of mission 
and the nations in the Hebrew Scriptures. So let's begin by thinking about the aspect of the blessing of the nations through Israel's influence. So how do we see this show up in the writings? Well, think about the book of Ruth, for example. So the book of Ruth reveals to us a woman who is a Moabite. And the end of the book reveals to us that the inclusion of Moabite blood shows up in the Davidic line. Uh, the book sets us up for uh, how King David comes onto the scene and bridges the gap between the days of the judges and the monarchy. And so the inclusion of Moabite blood in the Davidic line shows up in this book. And, uh, and also, when we get into the New Testament, it shows up in the Messianic genealogy. And so what is that doing? It's communicating that even Israel's worst enemies are welcomed and received by her God. Um, what else do we see? Well, let's think about the book of Daniel that's in, the book, that's in the writing. So while in captivity, Israel bears witness to the God of the nations. God gave Daniel and uh, his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the ability to grow in wisdom and learning and skill regarding Babylonian culture and society, we see that in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, we see through the interpretation of a, of a dream that uh, things begin to change. And, and though Daniel and his acquaintances would experience great persecution at the hands of the Babylonians, uh, their testimony to God would echo in the ears of their tormentors for years to follow. Uh, in fact, when we get over to Daniel chapter 4, here's, here's Nebuchadnezzar's declaration. Here it is. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So we see, even through the declaration of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, that comes about as a result of Israel's influence on the Babylonians as they are living in captivity. Uh, the declaration of Nebuchadnezzar uh, reveals this notion of the impact that Israel's God has made on him. We also see the blessing of the nations through God's sovereignty in the writings. Uh, for example, we'll go back to Daniel on this one. During the first year of Belshazzar's rule, Daniel records a vision in which the Ancient of Days extends to the Son of Man dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him with this reign and kingdom being everlasting and one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel is allowed to see a vision of God's rule that includes not only the incorporation of the Hebrews into God's kingdom, but the Gentiles as well. Such would have been an astounding vision. It would have been just a, a, a shocking vision given at a time when the Gentiles had wreaked havoc on Israel. But before this event would take place, before this inclusion would take place, the day of judgment would come when Israel would be delivered. Uh, the writings, and you get that from Daniel chapter 12, the writings reminds readers God is sovereign over creation. He, he will one day bring every deed to judgment, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. The hearts 
of people lie open before him. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 11. Uh, the die may be cast, but it's every outcome is from the Lord. Proverbs 16, Esther chapter 9. Though people make plans, the Lord is the one who establishes their steps. Proverbs 16, 9. Nothing escapes his rule. Uh, according to Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. See also Esther chapter 4, verse 14. The kings of this world are no match to this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for he turns their hearts wherever he desires to accomplish his mission. According to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, so we see this notion of God's sovereignty that shows up at various points throughout the writings. Several Psalms, for example, Psalm 47, Psalm 97, Psalm 98, Psalm 99, note the sovereign reign of God over the nations. His rule brings music, brings excitement, brings joy. His approach uh, to subduing the nations results in the princes of the peoples gathering, and this is a quote from Psalm 47, verse 9, the princes of the peoples gathering as the people of the God of Abraham. Again, here, the promise that all nations be blessed through Abraham is fulfilled. Um, why? Why is this grand inclusion of all peoples possible? And the writings reveal it is possible because of, the, of God's character and love for Israel. The Lord has not hidden himself from the nations, but has made known his salvation to them. His relationship with the house of Israel results in all the ends of the earth, seeing his salvation, according to Psalm 98, verses 2 and 3. Um, think about a book like the book of Job. The book of Job and God's mission. Uh, you know, Think about this for a second. So, in Job, the very mission of God is at stake as revealed with Satan's question in the beginning of the book. Does God simply buy the loyalty of his people through blessing? Um, you may want to check out Tim Davies' book on this particular topic, uh, the book of Job and the, the mission of God. Uh, Davy argues uh, the book vindicates, I'm giving you a quote here from Davy, both Job and Yahweh, and in doing so, vindicates the mission of God or the Missio Dei itself, end quote. Um, God is sovereign. We see that throughout the book of Job. God is sovereign, and he's working out his purpose in the world, even when his creation does not and will never understand the reasons for his actions. The writings note that God's hand works to preserve his people, even when hope seems lost. We see that, for example, in the book of Esther, Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, though Jerusalem is destroyed and lonely among the nations, according to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1, God's steadfast love and mercies are eternal. Because of his consistency, or maybe I should say because of this consistency of his faithfulness to his character and word, Israel will hope in him. The Redeemer of Israel is alive and able to see the hearts of his people in times of trouble, according to Job 16 and Job 19. Though struggles and difficulties come, oftentimes through judgment, hope and restoration follow. We see that described 
in the writings. But something else that we see in the writings related to the blessing of the nations, and this is, uh, I think, a fascinating point of what we get in the writings, and that is the blessing of the nations through restoration and reconstruction. In other words, if Israel does not get back to the land, if they, they do not rebuild the temple, if they do not rebuild themselves as a nation, then how will the eternal king, who is a descendant of David, uh, how will the, the, the Son of Man, how will he show up? And so, will Israel get back into the land? We're asking that question as we're reading through the Old Testament, and what we find is that when we get into uh, the latter part of the Hebrew Scriptures, for example, the book of Chronicles, which traces Israel's history beginning with Adam, it concludes with recalling the Babylonian captivity and Cyrus's, Cyrus the Persian, Cyrus's decree to allow Israel to return to their land. Um that comes from Second Chronicles chapter 36. So around the year 538, 539, uh, Cyrus's decree is um, extended, and Israel and other people that uh, the Persians had um, obtained through the conquering of Babylon, uh, they could return back to their nations. In fact, uh, you can actually go online and you can look at what's called the Silas, or excuse me, called the Cyrus cylinder or the Cyrus scroll, it's really uh, the cylinder, it's, uh, the archaeological um, discovery of, uh, of Cyrus after he comes to power, uh, allowing people to return back into their land. Uh, Ezra picks up on that in uh, chapter 1 and writes the following in verses 2 through 4. Now keep in mind, Israel is in captivity. Persia has now come onto the scene and has conquered the Babylonians. And so you get the following statement, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor... In whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, uh, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And so the book, Ezra Nehemiah, marks a significant moment in God's plan of redemption and restoration. Uh, in this book, you really see three things, and that is the exiles. First of all, they return from captivity, major important or major aspect that's very important in understanding the mission of God. The exiles return from captivity. Number two, they resettle in the land. And then number three, they rebuild the temple and Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah, or, or if you basically think of it as, as one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, closes with the hopeful expectation that the people of God will serve him faithfully. Okay, they're now, they're now back in the land. Uh, maybe there's hope. Maybe there will be that Davidic descendant who will show up. The, uh, will Israel now be faithful to Torah? Uh, God has been faithful to his word. Uh, will Israel be faithful to her word, her commitment to God? Soon the Davidic king will arrive, uh, provide deliverance, and will restore all things. And what else do we see in the writings? Well, we see the blessings of the nations through 
really the invitation to praise Yahweh, to praise God. So as God's image bearers fill the earth and bring glory to his name, their, their worship not only strengthens their kingdom community, but bears witness to the divine human relationship and blessings received from God. So we think about, obviously, when we talk about this topic of praise and worship, we're thinking about the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms portrays God with no geographical boundaries. In other words, he's not limited to this little 150-mile strip of land uh, in the Fertile Crescent. He's not limited to any space in creation. Uh, He has an international vision. The mission of Israel and God's all-encompassing plan for the nations is a major theme in the book of Psalms, and I think we often overlook this. Uh, of course, we, you know, we think about Psalm 67, which has been referred to as the, the great missionary song. You know, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known through all, throughout all the earth. Skip on down, you know, let the nations praise you, O God. Let all the nations praise you. God, our God, shall bless us. Uh, you know, that notion of connecting God's blessing to the nations praising him. We're familiar with that. But there are many other passages in Psalms. I wish we had the chance to unpack all that is there, but just a few things to think about. Psalm 86, verses 8 and 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Psalm 96, verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 87 is a beautiful picture of God's love for Zion and the people found there. What is most surprising is that the psalmist foretells a day when some of God's, or excuse me, some of Israel's most notorious enemies are granted citizenship in the city. Uh, In that psalm, Psalm 87, the nations that know the Lord include Rahab, it's possibly a reference to Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and the ends of the earth represented by Cush. On that day, it will be said of the nations, according to Psalm 87, verse 5, this one and that one were born in her. Um, Think about Psalm 150. The way the book concludes, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The, The Psalter served as a perennial reminder to Israel that her God was also the God of all the nations. As Israel would come to worship her God through the Psalms, she was constantly reminded of the fact that in you, Abraham, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that Israel was to be that nation of priests that we talked about back in Torah, that God was not just the God of the Hebrews, but the Hebrews had a very special role and part to play in his mission that everything that has breath would praise him. But I also said at the outset of this podcast that the notion of the blessing of the nations in the writings involved a person that is God's anointed one. And so we see reference to this individual, and I think we see at least two things that are important for us to keep in mind. One is that uh, this person... God's anointed one is actually the anointed one who reigns. So Psalm 2, for example, notes the relationship of the nations to the Lord's Son. This messianic passage 
is clearly rooted in the Davidic covenant that we talked about when we were thinking about the prophets in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and finds ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, of course. God laughs at the kings and rulers who attempt to stand against his anointed. Uh, the rulers of the nations are warned to be wise and serve the Lord. And according to Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12, they're to kiss the Son because, quote, blessed are all who take refuge in him, end quote. So this anointed one is one who is one who reigns, and his reign brings about blessing. But the other thing about this anointed one of God is that uh, he suffers, and it is through his suffering that blessing comes to the nations. So we skip over, for example, to Psalm 22. And so Psalm 22 reveals the cry of the psalmist who suffers greatly at the hands of his enemies while his prayers remain unanswered. And even though he is grieved, he still trusts in God, and his message of good news extends to the nations. While the mission of God in this passage finds fulfillment, obviously in the crucified Messiah, and we can look at numerous passages in Matthew and Mark and, and Luke and John and even Hebrews chapter 2, it also manifests itself in an often overlooked part of this text. After noting his confidence in the Lord who provides deliverance, the psalmist states, Psalm 22, verses 27 through 28, quote, "...all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations." The Messiah's suffering for sin is part of the good news. God's judgment comes upon him, but so does the hope of resurrection. He suffers but trusts in God and receives the inheritance of the nations. So, the writings, think about this. They contain a rich array of literature. Several books, several authors, lengthy period of time, different locations geographically of the stories that they discuss. The writings contain a rich array of literature. The collection provides Israel with exhortations and demonstration as to how the faithful are to live. God's faithfulness is shown throughout the historical narratives and in Israel's worship expressions. She must not forget her identity heritage, and mission. The writings reveal a God, excuse me, the writings reveal a God who is very much concerned with both Jews and Gentiles and desires relationship with them. He is sovereign, restores Israel, and continues his mission through her. He is revealed as the God who has created all, oversees all, and is to be worshiped by all. Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Strike the Match. Again, if you are not one who has been sharing this resource with others, I would be honored if you would pass Strike the Match on to those in your social network. And hey, if you don't mind, uh, give us a, a liking, a comment uh, online somewhere. Thanks again so much for checking out our time together. And Lord willing, we will continue in the next episode thinking about the mission of God in the synoptics. 
You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.